Well, welcome back those of you who were too spiritual to be here last week on New Year's Day. We missed you. Um, my name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm very excited because today we start a new series. It's called Jesus in Genesis. And before I get into the, the message and explain everything, let me just tell you that the goal of this series is to change the way you look at reading the Old Testament. I mean, if you're like me, there are some parts, when you think about the Old Testament, you think, the first thing I think of in Old Testament is long. I mean, because I have ADD, right? And I understand some of you do. And when I think of, okay, New Testament, okay, manageable. Old Testament, war and peace. That's what I'm thinking. That's the first thing. And the other thing I think about the Old Testament, sometimes it can be considered like a rule book, you know? Like the Ten Commandments are in there. And what the Jews are supposed to eat and not eat is in there. And so there's a lot. I don't like rules. So I kind of don't like the Old Testament for that reason. Some Christians consider the Old Testament irrelevant because, you know, that was before Jesus. And it really doesn't apply to my life. Some some consider it just historical. You know, there's a lot of good stuff in there. But, you know, it's really not anything for theology or understanding Jesus. What the Old Testament really is, is an expanded explanation of the gospel. So if when you read the Old Testament, what I want you to do after this series and maybe even during this series, maybe even after today's message, is it's it's going to change your eyes of how you look at it. And I'm praying that as you begin to look at the Old Testament, you'll be given the ability to see pictures and shadows and images of Jesus. And when that begins to happen, you'll be amazed at how the Old Testament will start making a lot more sense to you. Because sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we think, man, this looks like it's kind of like legalism or rules and do's and don'ts. And I don't like that. And believe me, I get you. I get you on that. But in reality, what the Old Testament is doing is explaining our need for the gospel and then explaining how the gospel works. And you're going to see. So this week, the first week of Jesus in Genesis, we're talking about the creator of life. And we're going to go to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5. So I'm going to read the verse to you, and you can follow along there or, or just listen or look at it on your phone or your Bible if you have it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Then, lo- then God said, let there be seminoles. No, I'm just, he didn't say that. It's just, <laughs> then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And then without kind of getting to all of it, I'm just going to give you a little. Then God said, let there be trees. And there were. God said, let there be animals. And then gators were created. Then God said, let there be fish. I should stop doing that because some of you are gators. And I don't want to... Then God said, let there be the sun and let there be moon. And all were made by the power of the words of life. And later on, we'll talk about this too next week about Adam. But he created Adam, created Eve, and he gave them their commission to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply. So you can see that there is the idea of this creation story. Now, many of us have read this when we were kids or maybe even as adults. And we know what the Bible's account of creation is. 
And someday we can have a series that talks about whether or not the creation story is real or whether it was the Big Bang Revolution. I would love to have that conversation with you because I love science and I'd love to talk about it. But that's not what we're going to discuss today. What we're going to discuss is how life was created. So let's look at the historical part of this passage, the power of life at creation. Now, before I get started, I want you to know I'm a little nervous about today's message because the book of Philippians that we just finished up, it's really emotional. It's like really from a pastor's heart and his love for a church. And so I really connect with it because I love you guys and I think about you all the time. And I'm praying for you just like Paul did for the Philippians. And I really loved that series. But this series is not going to be really something that speaks to a pastor's heart more than it does to a philosopher's heart or an academic's heart. So what I'm going to have to ask you to do is during these messages on Genesis, really have to try to focus on the history and theology with me because you're going to learn things you didn't know before. So the power of life at creation. The historical always answers the question, what about man? Well, in reality, there's only one man in this part of the story. And it's Jesus. So it's very interesting. In our historical part of the passage today, we're actually talking about God. So the history and the theology are kind of melded together. It's going to be fascinating. You'll see. So I want to talk about how he spoke the words of life at creation. There's a verse in John that was in the New Testament, by the way. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. I'm going to read it to you. Listen to what it says about Jesus. Jesus is called the Word, the Word of God, the Word of life. Listen to what he says. In the beginning was the Word with a capital W. The Word, capital W, meaning it's a proper noun, was with God. The Word, capital W, was God. He... The word was with God in the beginning. It's not a coincidence that John starts John 1-1 with in the beginning, just like Genesis has started in the beginning. There's a reason for that, because they're talking about the same moment in time. Through him, all things were made. Through who? The word. Without him, the word, nothing was made that has been made. In him... The word was life, and that life was the light of men. Here's another one for you in Colossians 1, 15 to 16. I love this one. He, the word, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is what enables us to see and hear God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things, who? Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth. Things visible and things invisible. Whether thrones, throne of heaven, or powers, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created by him and it says for him. So these two verses are very powerful, are they not? And let me tell you what they teach us. These passages declare for us three things about creation Jesus. First of all, we know this, that he is God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. You know what else it tells us about creation Jesus? Jesus, our Savior, he's always been around. 
way before the first Christmas was ever celebrated. In fact, his existence is concurrent with the Father. So a lot of times we think of Jesus, I mean God, then Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But in reality, it's God Jesus. I taught you guys a word a few weeks ago. Some of you might remember it. Theanthropos, theos, God, anthropos, anthropology, man. Theanthropos, God-man. That's who and what Jesus is. And here's what else we know about him. He is actually Jesus, the creator of life. By him, all things were made. Nothing that was made was not made by him. All things visible and all things invisible. And all of it was made by him and for him. In other words, for his pleasure, for his glory, all these things. So he is actually the creator of the world, the creator of life. This is the concept, guys, that our Savior Jesus was fully God, displayed in his creation of life as well as his authority over it. Understand something. This is important for you to hear. This is why Jesus had the power and the ability to come to earth as the savior of life and the conqueror of the grave. I mean, think about it. If somebody's going to conquer death, he has to have what? The power of life. And so if the creator can create life, he can certainly raise it from the dead. So this is important to understand. For those that would ever teach you that Jesus and God are separate, if they say that, then they don't understand that Jesus could not be our Savior. The very fact that he created the world is what makes him able to die for us and then resurrect from the grave. It's important and critical and crucial that we understand that. There is a theological reason why Jesus was able to raise from the grave. Because he is the creator and the power to make life. So let's look at the theology side. I want to look at the power of life on earth that Jesus had. See, what Jesus does is he comes back to this creation to save it and redeem it. And before we understand that, we have to first recognize just how much man's depravity and sin has corrupted the life that Jesus, God, created. The second thing we have to understand is that when Jesus returns and comes back to his creation, it's out of love and compassion for his chosen children to save us from eternal separation from himself, from the Father, and bring them back into what was intended for us to have, which is abundant living, abundant life before sin corrupted it. So I have a verse for you to read. John, chapter, uh, John 1, verse 10, 11, and then verse 14. I'm just going to read it, and you can follow along. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. I'm going to read that verse again in case it went in one ear and out the other. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So first thing we know that God did is he came back to this earth. And here's what he does. He shows his power over life 
on earth in a couple of ways. He spoke the words of life. We have some stories. I'm not going to read the verses to you. I'm just going to give you the concepts. There was this guy named Lazarus who died. Jesus rose or raised him from the dead. There's a story about Jairus and his daughter who died. Jesus raised her from the dead. And there's a story in Mark chapter 4, 37 to 39, where he's on this boat with a bunch of people, and there's a big, bad storm, and Jesus is able to calm the storm. He had power over life and death and creation. So while he was on earth, as God, he displayed his power over these things. And then what else Jesus says? He actually says these things, just to make sure that there's no confusion. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, no one can achieve abundant life, the life that we all yearn for, except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So in that verse alone, he's declaring this. I am the way to life because I am God. I am the Father. And he speaks this while he was on earth as a man. You know what else he did? He conquered death. I love Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Here's what is being said. You killed the author of life. Who's the author of life? Jesus. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are all witnesses of this. So that's the history and the theology. And it's kind of weird, right? Because they're both kind of the same. Uh, normally, history is about what about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? And the theology is what about God? What did he do and why and how did he do it? And today it's kind of confusing because the history and the theology are the same person. Now let's talk about the devotional side of this. Thank you for sticking with me through the academic portion of this sermon. I want to talk about the source for abundant life. You know, we are born with this innate desire to not be miserable. And we display that with our constant striving and fighting and working. And we have this innate desire to seek a life that is abundant without even knowing often what abundant life really is or how to find it. It seems like it's some objective, nebulous nirvana that maybe at some point if I do the right things long enough and they outnumber the wrong things in a big enough way that I can achieve and arrive at some place of nirvana where my life is abundant. And we have this innate desire to see that and pursue it. And we don't even know what it is really. And what begins to happen is when you don't know what abundant life is and you're seeking it, here's our natural default tendency. Are you ready? You're going to like this. We have a pattern of saying, who or what can help me get abundant life? Instead of, who can I help? See, that's where selfishness is born. It's in our innate desire and ability to try to fill this empty void of not having abundant life to the degree that we can say, now I've arrived, now I have life, but to do that, I need things. I need people. I need stuff. I need circumstances to be correct. And we turn to find definitions or explanations of abundant life in several areas. We find it sometimes where we try to find it in philosophy. Sometimes we try to find it in politicians. On the left 
and the right. Sometimes we try to find it in money. We look to sports. If my team could just win the Super Bowl. Quiet, Patriot fans. I swear I'll slap you. (laughs) We look for it in music, don't we? Because, see, there's sometimes where music touches this chord in us and we feel this emotion and our body hears the beat and the melody and the words and it comes together in a moment of nirvana. Wow, this is great. That's why I love, that's why we buy music. So we can try to recreate that moment. But it's so fleeting. We look for it even in relationships. Looking to fulfill that longing void in us that we have for abundant living. Sometimes we turn to addictions. And we get sucked into this trap that says, this thing that I'm depending on when I'm using it gives me my fulfillment, my abundant life. And all it actually does is take life out of you. We look to abusive, codependent relationships with those in our lives. And many people live a whole lifetime trying to achieve and arrive at this place of abundant living. And they look forward in these things. And they make one bad decision after another. Constantly. And in return, what happens? We turn our search for abundant life and the lives of others that we're using into a total wreck. A living hell. And we destroy any opportunity for abundant life. And why is that? Because we are not looking to the very author and creator of life. The one who spoke the words of life at creation and while he was on earth. Look what he says in John chapter 10, 7 through 10. So Jesus said again, like he said this a few times. Truly, truly, I say to you, yes, listen carefully. Truly, I'm saying, listen, I'm trying to tell you as, with as much passion as I can. That's, that's, what, that's what truly, truly means. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me, the addictions, the music, the food, the codependent relationships, all who came before me are thieves and robbers taking your life from you. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You know what going in and out and find pasture means? Life, abundant living. Freedom, going in and out, finding pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Guys, let me tell you something. Abundant life is not talking about prosperity. It's not talking about earthly success. It's not talking about having a couple of million stacked in the bank. It's not talking about a life free from trials. Because I will tell you, in fact, there are many people who have suffered, even been martyred because they, listen, because they were living in a state of abundant life, they suffered for it. So abundant life does not mean that everything is fine and dandy and easy. Abundant life results in transformation through the power of the words of life from Jesus the creator, namely the gospel. 
Abundant life only comes from the words of life, from the author of life found in the scriptures. And look what it does in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, back to creation again, isn't that cool? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. In other words, the old desire for abundant life in things that just give you death has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what happens when we begin to trust the creator of life and his words of life to find abundant life? We become a new creation. There is actually a new soul born within us that has this innate supernatural ability to understand all this temporary stuff does not give me fulfillment. All it does is distract me from what really gives me abundance of living. It is supernatural. It is superhuman. You, in your own depraved state, cannot do it. It is a miraculous thing when it takes place. Why? Because God gives you the gift of? Exactly. The ability to believe is not because you're so good. It's because God said, I'll make you believe even though you don't. Guys, abundant life is wholly dependent upon the grace of God and our connection to the author of that life. It's life-giving grace, guys, that causes us to live differently from those around us. It enables us to impact and confront our culture with grace. It's what makes us biblical. It allows, I love this part, it allows our soul to survive through many different trials that a person that was not connected with the creator of life would be able to. It strengthens us for everyday events. It enables us to have, and this is supernatural too, when you are living in, an, in a state of abundant life, it enables you to have a supernatural eye on eternity that make the struggles of this life seem a little bit less important. Oh, they're still there. Oh, we still feel them. We don't ignore them, but we know what we see. Scripture says this, by the way. For what we see is temporal. The things we don't see are eternal. And what abundant living allows you to do is live with one foot here and one foot in eternity. And this balance between these two areas, being able to understand that all life is not here. That there is another life that we're waiting for, that we're hoping for, that we're thriving for, that we're living for. That hope gives us the ability to have one foot in eternity that makes this life more manageable, more endurable, and more effective. It allows us to grow to be more like Jesus, and I'll get to that in a moment. So how can you know that you're living abundantly? How do you know that you're connected to the creator of life? The sustainer of life, who is Jesus? How do you know that for sure? Wouldn't you like to know that? Well, I'm not going to tell No, I'm just kidding. I am going to tell you. <laughs> Here it is. You ready? When you stop wasting time trying to fill your empty void, but you look to fill it in others. Because when we are living the abundant life, those around us reap the benefits. Let me explain. As opposed to seeking shallow life that benefits ourselves, what begins to happen is when we are living abundant life and we are truly 
connected to the creator of life, we are able to confront others with grace through the words of life from Jesus. What begins to happen is when we are living abundant life, a real good sign is this. We aren't the source of chaos and drama in other people. We are not the source of pain in the lives of others. Instead, we show a pattern of encouraging others and strengthening others and serving others. And we show a pattern of reliance on the written word of life, the scriptures. We show a pattern, a constant pattern of us having opportunity to share the words of life that were in Genesis 1 and 1 John, or John 1 and Colossians 1. We show a pattern of speaking those words of life to those around us. We show a pattern of sacrificing and serving others instead of taking from them or stealing from them. Jesus sacrificed. And that's the part that I want you to get. This is the part that makes us more like Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate sacrificer. And when we are living the abundant life, what happens is we are made more like Christ because we are willing and able and excited about sacrificing for the life of others. We begin to enhance the lives of others like Jesus did. And this, guys, this is how you know that the author and creator of life in Genesis 1 has imparted the words of life to your soul. This is how you know it. Because what begins to happen is your life takes on a much deeper meaning than just, I got to get me a good job, dog. I got to get me a nice car. I got to get me a good woman or a good man. I got to get me a nice house. Or I got That stuff becomes almost second fiddle to, I have got to learn to serve my heavenly dad by serving others. And when that happens, think about it. How in the world could you be a creator of chaos? You can't be. So I encourage you today to look at your life. Are you taking, stealing, or are you serving and encouraging? Because I will tell you, if you have evidence of service and sacrifice and encouraging and strengthening in your life, you are learning what abundant living is all about. And it's described by this in 2 Corinthians. This is people who are living the abundant life. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You know what aroma means? There's something about us, something subjective, because a smell, you know, What's that smell? Sometimes it's, what's that smell? Sometimes it's, what's that smell? And you don't know right away what it is. Then you, oh, that's the source. What an aroma gives a picture of is this. People around us are being able to sense there is something different about these children of God. There's something different about this Grace Life family. They are believers and they, they confront me with grace, but there's something about their life that is so appealing, that is inspiring, that is encouraging, that is motivating, and I can't believe they sacrifice for me the way they do. They don't even know me. That's because we're living the grace life, the abundant life. Dear Jesus, dear Dad, we so desire to be part 
of the abundant life. We admit to you, we often get distracted by the things of the world that say, hey, come to me, I'll fulfill you. And all they do is destroy us. Oh, Dad, help us to understand the importance of connection with you, the author of life. Help us to stop being creators of chaos and pain. Help us to stop stealing and taking and abusing. And help us to arrive at the place of abundant life that is evidenced by sacrificing and serving and giving and inspiring. And help us recognize all this comes from speaking and understanding and trusting in by faith, which is a gift. The words of life, the gospel of Jesus. They make others say, wow, there's something abundant about how they're living. 